0: from one week holiday break to uh, to celebrate the reason for the season and the new year. There was a lot that happened. We are pretty much through bowl season now. We've had the semifinals. We've had the January 2nd game, so we don't have to talk about And The only thing that remains is the title game. Alabama would have been shocking any other results, um, but They'll be playing Ohio State, who I know a lot of people did not expect, but we will uh certainly certainly some of those out of uh, a little school known as Clemson, but we'll talk about that game second. so open with Alabama Notre Dame. this was the first semifinal. I don't necessarily want to say a foregone conclusion, but considering how the teams were looking coming into the game. Notre Dame's most recent results against Clemson, they did not look very good at all, and Alabama has been rolling all season. Kind of thought it would be one that the Tide would win, and to Notre Dame's credit, they didn't cover, so there's that. Uh, A little closer than expected, but um, from Alabama's perspective, getting out to a two-touchdown lead early um, and kind of coasting from there, never really felt like this one was ever in doubt.
1: Right. It felt, it felt like reminiscent of the title game they played in, what, 2012 or 13, whatever year it was, um, where Alabama scored early and then just kept scoring, and Notre Dame didn't realize they also had to score. And fortunately for the Irish, that didn't happen this year. Alabama, like you said, jumped out to the early lead, but the defense really stepped up after that for Notre Dame. Holding Alabama, especially this year's addition, to just 31 points is phenomenal. I mean, that, that is as good as you can ask for from a defense, um, you've got, you're expecting bad things to happen when you play this Alabama offense. I mean, Mac Jones has set numerous records this season and is quietly going, going to be, uh, like going to be the Heisman winner as he should be. It's very weird, especially at a school like Alabama on a platform like he's on to have been so unbelievably good and really not that have that much hype surrounding him, but that's the kind of year he's had and the defense stepped up when they needed to for Notre Dame to at least keep it a ball game where they could cover on the back door. Um, Offensively, they just never really got it going. Ian Book wasn't great, but he wasn't poor. Um, And Alabama's defense, I would say, showed up like we had expected to see them all year, but I think this is more of a maturation throughout the season and rising to the occasion more than anything else. We're
0: really talking moral victories for Notre Dame, but realistically, whoever you were putting in the four spot was going to be a sacrificial lamb against them. Right. I think you can feel somewhat confident of, against any other potential playoff team, but when you're drawing Alabama in this situation, like it's it's tough to put on a performance that makes you look good. Um, so I, I mean, it, it's tough to be too hard on Notre Dame. If anything, you can. You beat up on them for their performance against Clemson in the ACC title game. That was pretty lackluster. This was just kind of Alabama has more weapons. They know it. Um, got one of the best wide receivers, say in college football history, could be um, you know one of one of the Heisman finalists at wide receiver. Um, mm-hmm. That's just one of their many playmakers. So. It was gonna. It was always gonna be a tall task, uh, even for a Notre Dame team that had prided itself on defense for most of the year. Um, so, happy with the playoff performance. Would have liked to have a conference championship in their one year in a conference. I'm sure, but we'll take the I'm sure they'll take the playoff appearance regardless. But Alabama onto the title of the game. Just, uh, just another year for Nick Saban.
1: Yep, ho hum. Here he goes, and now he's already talking about rehabbing another coaching career, whether it's Bill O'Brien or Adam Gase as his new offensive coordinator. So we'll we'll see what happens there.
0: Oh man, um, yeah, and because Steve Sarkeesian going to Texas, and that's uh, that's a wild move that we can we can talk about in a sec. But before that second semifinal game, Ohio State Clemson, a lot of barbs thrown beforehand, especially from Dabo. Um, you know, really belittling Ohio State for not playing as many games because, again, it's about quantity, not quality. Um, not that I'd even make that argument in Ohio State's defense because a lot of the Big Ten just sucked this year, but I think anyone with a brain could at least see, even if they weren't beating you know, top ten teams every week except for one, Ohio State was a damn good team and was one of the four best in the country. And I don't know if Dabo honestly believed that they weren't or if he was just trying to start shit and, um, you know, act superior as he often does. But boy, was it satisfying to see jo- Justin Fields ball out, have one of his uh, best games ever. And uh, Ohio State got revenge for last year for sure.
1: One hundred percent. Last year's game was a classic. I can remember where I was probably because I was out during the game. That that could be a very big reason why. And I just haven't. Yep. I haven't felt that feeling in a long time. But last year's game was a classic. It was great to see these two teams get matched up. I don't understand the move from Dabo because of the fact that it seems like something he would want someone to do to his team that is like his greatest motivational tactic playing the underdog card or saying no one believes in us and here he is just serving it up to Ohio State a team that they've already got some beef with a team that they they know fairly well and a team that was basically a receiver falling down from winning last year's game so i i never understood the move but when you talk shit it is great to see it get thrown back in your face on the field and that's exactly what ohio state did um, Justin Fields, I wouldn't say puts to bed the argument of who's better between him and Trevor Lawrence. I think he just ignites it even more because uh, I think there are people just so dug in on each side that there's not going to be much switching between the two.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's dangerous even floating that idea out there. Um, is, I mean, as we talked about I don't think that either of them were in the top two of college quarterbacks this year, mm-hmm. but Looking at pro potential, they're definitely one and two, but um, with what Mac Jones and Kyle Trask did, with the exception of the bowl game all year, I think those guys were, were in a league of their own, but yeah, this was a great time for Justin Fields to come out and ball out like this. He had had some struggles this year against quality defenses. He struggled at times against Indiana. He had some struggles against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game before Ohio State realized, let's just run the ball down their throat. Didn't have to resort to that this game um, against Clemson, who always has a solid defense. Um, maybe not up to their typical standards, especially on the defense. They lost a lot, for sure. Yeah, but as long as you've got Brent Venables and, and some of the players that they have, um, you know, James Kalski, obviously not, not his best work out there, uh, but on paper, still a pretty solid unit for Justin Fields to go out and ball out like he did is extremely impressive. And I mean, ju- just the fact that Ohio State, I think this year, did a lot better job of finishing drives than they did last year. Like a big yeah. part of why they were in the position to lose against Clemson, and I've been ostracized for this, for saying it online, is when you get in the red zone, inside the 10 yard line, you have to score touchdowns. Now, Ohio State this year did not really um, have to do that as much because he was just throwing bombs. But when you, you look at Justin Fields finishing with six touchdowns and six incompletions um, compared to last year when they were settling for multiple field goals, I think they had three field goals under 25 yards last year's semifinal game against Clemson. They kicked zero this year all touchdowns and that's what you have to do to beat a team like Clemson as soon as you give them an inch they will take a mile and that's when you leave the door open for other things to come into play like last year there were certainly controversial calls of sorts that could have gone either way if you're putting up touchdowns instead of field goals you're not even giving that situation an opportunity to present itself so i think that was another big thing but yeah, it's Ohio State has great talent all around. Um, Justin Fields, we knew that. Two first team All Big Ten wide receivers. Trey Sermon's really been coming on the latter part of the season, and I mean, when you put it all together, it's tough to stop. The problem is, it's not as impressive as the weapons that Alabama has, which right. speaks to how ridiculous they are. But even so, it's uh it's a pretty formidable unit. And Clemson found that out firsthand.
1: Yeah, I mean, you were talking about it. I think the evolution, I guess, is the best way to put it. The evolution of the Ohio State offense in terms of just like big playability, despite losing some weapons, which is all over the place, but it gets to the point. Their top five receivers in this game against Clemson had uh, big catches of fifty six, forty five, thirty four, twenty six, forty seven yards. Like that's explosive from fi- your fi- top five. Excuse me, top five receivers, all with big plays over twenty five yards. It's very hard to cover that, even when you have a good defense like Clemson does.
0: Yeah, they they are the one Big Ten team. That's why they've been so dominant for so long, dating back to to Urban. They have SEC speed mm-hmm. everywhere on their roster and. Really, no one else in the Big Ten does. Um, you might have some some good skill position players, some good cover corners, some good receivers who can go up and get jump balls. But in terms of a, a pure speed standpoint, Ohio State has been the class of the conference for, I mean, the better part of a decade. Um, and you know that that is why Ohio State is really the one program that has been a national player consistently. Um, you can you can beat each other up and, and win some games in, in the Big Ten West 20 to 17, but when you take that style of play against most elite teams in college football, um, it's not gonna work out, obviously. Right. Whole season overall was pretty successful for the Big Ten. I know you don't think highly of Auburn, but big win for for Northwestern that that plays, you know, more conservative, um, traditional Big Ten style.
1: Yeah, I just think Northwestern is an uh matchup nightmare for Auburn, which is weird to say.
0: And I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Ohio State, like until teams start constructing rosters at least somewhat similarly, um, mm-hmm. or I mean they're they're trying, but they haven't had as much success. Like Ohio State has a little bit of a head start and
1: Penn State is probably as close as we've gotten.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um but in terms of consistently at that level, I, I think we're we're still kind of waiting for that. We've had teams teams make you know strong one or two year pushes. Um, Michigan State doesn't fit the the bill in terms of the the roster construction I'm talking about, but they had some years where they were really challenging Ohio State. Michigan still, right?
1: <laughs> who knows?
0: Like it. Uh, who, who knows? Could be uh, could be Rutger next. Yeah. Okay. Rucker rising.
1: They yeah. like to. They like to remind you. Saquon was a commit there.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you have to understand. There's just nowhere he could have fit into that backfield. So of course. Um, I don't know if we've talked about that tweet before, but that's one of my other favorites from the, the history of the internet.
1: I think I think it's come up a few times, but I will never say no when that comes up. Do <laughs> you
0: like to twist the knife? Um, okay, so next Monday. So before you hear our next episode, will be the title totally game, Alabama, Ohio State. Real quick, what's what's kind of your your impression of this game?
1: It's going to be a shootout, and that is what I'm. I've been waiting for and hoping for. I think. Similar to Alabama-Florida in the SEC title game, I think we're going to get a lot of points. It's going to be a closer game overall. Um, I think both of these teams are going to go back and forward. Justin Fields, this is his last chance to put on a show in a, in a shortened season. Mac Jones is going to continue to do what he did. Um, I'm going to take Alabama in a tight game, high scoring, and, and it's, I think it's honestly feels like a Big 12 game. Who, whoever can get the first stop or force a turnover or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, Alabama was played pretty close um, by Florida. And honestly, I think Ohio State matches up a lot better with Alabama. But I just have a hard time seeing a situation which this Alabama team does not win the title. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, it's a rematch from the very first year of the college football playoff Cardell Jones in the second semifinal of the day, um, just going off and Shocking! Alabama is, uh, I think, the only uh, four over one upset we've had. Uh, I think so. The playoff started. Um, normally, it's just beat down after beat down from the one seed, but um, it's it's possible things happen. Um, but with how good Alabama has been all season long, um, to a scary degree, having a hard time going against the Tide. I, I think it'll be close, but. It's it's hard to pick against the tide here.
1: It is, and again, it's a uh, no one likes to hear anyone praise Nick Saban, but it's a testament to what Nick Saban does so well.
0: Yeah, and uh, who'd expect
1: he'd lose Tua and be in the title game as the favorite by over a touchdown? Yeah,
0: just reload every year. So their uh, bowl bowl season overall this year, like it happens, I will readily admit that um, the the number of entertaining games left a little bit to be desired. Um, Cincinnati Georgia was a good one. Um, would have would have hoped for a, a different result for the Bearcats to go undefeated, but yep. um, I, I know at least through the first week or so, there really was just. One team getting out to a lead and just punishing the other for, um, you know, the entire 60 minutes. Um, It's
1: great for betting, not for watching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I I think the uh, Ohio State beating Clemson was entertaining enough from just what it meant, um, if not for, you know, late game dramatics or anything like that. But no, it's you'll you'll take not competitive football over no football at all. So
1: yeah, a hundred percent. We
0: have to we have to wait the better part of a year to to see it again. But hopefully, knocking on all the wood, twenty twenty one will be a full football season, um, and hopefully, some fans will be allowed in not the south areas, <laughs> in, of the
1: in everywhere else. Yeah, um, our our stats department did a quick check. Uh, 2017-18, Alabama was the four seed, beat Clemson, and then won in the title against Georgia. Ah. That was the two a game. So,
0: so I knew, knew Alabama Clemson played one year in the semifinal. I did not remember the one four
1: part. Correct. Um, so the four seed has actually won twice. The two seed has won three times. The one seed has only won once, and that was LSU last year.
0: Right. Cause, yeah, because uh, Alabama and Clemson kept trading back and forth when yep. they were not one-seeds. Oh, it's a simpler time. Um, yeah, so like you said, Nick Saban's uh, Coach Rehab Center will be back in full swing. You see is losing another one, Steve Sarkeesian going over to Texas, who has parted ways with Tom Herman for being better than Charlie Strong, but never quite getting up to the elite level of college football that Texas so desperately wants to be. And it's a a little bit similar to, you know, Michigan looking at Jim Harbaugh, um, like, cannot get past... Ohio State, um, in the head to head or in the Big Ten and Texas still having that same issue with Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. I I
1: get I guess I get it because Tom Herman it seemed like one of those situations where Tom Herman just couldn't get Texas back, as the simplest way to put it. Like no matter how many times Sam Ellinger says they're back, they just never got back. And that's what he was there to do to go to Sarkisian though, a guy who flamed out pretty horrifically at USC, who is basically on the same standard as Texas. Uh, you could argue where they stand, uh, like where each team stands, but I would say they're pretty similar when, when you look at the two programs and, uh, I don't know that a couple of years under Nick Saban as the O coordinator really does it, but this is yet again, Texas going for a name brand instead of or well, you know, they went for an up and comer, I guess, with Tom Herman, but going for a name brand that's been around as opposed to trying someone new. So I don't know. I guess they're all just happy that basketball season is going well.
0: Yeah, it's it's a uh it's a very, very boomer bust hire because, right? Looking back in USC,
1: it's um, not Mel Tucker, but it's.
0: Oh no! It's it
1: doesn't inspire. Like I'm not. I don't look no, at that and go, "Oh, that's great."
0: The big difference between this hire and Mel Tucker getting hired is Sark was very, 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 very good at the job he's just coming off of. Like, yeah. He is a very, very good offensive coach. Mel Tucker was never really at the elite level of uh, the defensive side of the ball. So, correct. The thing I can understand from Texas's perspective, you have to really ignore the USC days slash think those are behind him. If you're just going all in on a great offensive-minded head coach in the Big Twelve, just kind of thinking matching some of. The other elite programs, but again, namely Oklahoma, is who you're trying to measure yourself up against. Mm-hmm. I can understand that, but then if you're doing that, you have to nail the defensive coordinator higher. right? Uh, is otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, a typical Big Twelve team. And I mean, Texas was okay offensively. They they had great moments. They had particularly great games. It seemed like every year their best game would be their bowl game, and it got the wheels turning. Um, people talking for the following season, like, hey, maybe Texas can put something together. The most notable, of course, um, beating Georgia, but you know, th- this year was pretty similar. Like They beat the brakes off of Colorado. They looked really good doing it. Um, obviously, you're not going to have Sam Ellinger anymore, but there were You know, certainly things there you look at and you think, "All right, this is this is looking good for next year." But it's it's just kind of the way every season goes. (laughs) Like you get down in the beginning, you you gradually build. You have some some other missteps. You have some big wins um, over you know Oklahoma State and the like. But you you're not. You're not Big Twelve champions. You're not anywhere near the playoff. You get a a big win, and you know. Let's face it for for a program like Texas, they're not going to celebrate bull wins too much, or they their fan base doesn't want to. They don't want to be in that position. They want to have a much higher ceiling um, than you know, just beating up on you know a four and one Colorado team.
1: And not to mention, at this point. You could probably argue that they're behind Iowa State in the hierarchy of the Big Twelve, at least over the past three to five years. Like, it hasn't been great. You know, Tom Herman was there to turn it around, and maybe he was turning slowly, but it it we haven't seen the success that we were all expecting at this point.
0: I mean, yeah, Iowa State is getting preferential treatment nationally that you would typically assume is reserved for brands like a Texas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would uh I would take you up on that for sure. But yeah, that's uh it's an interesting hire. Um and yeah it there is a scenario where it could work out brilliantly. Um there is also a scenario where it can flame out spectacularly. Time will tell but as we've seen not the most patient um, school or fan base for new coaches? Um, Definitely not. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But that is a that is a thing that happens. Um, we we mentioned Auburn; they lost their bowl game to Northwestern, but they do have a new head coach. We uh, we talked about how uh questionable their coaching search had been or or kind of why it was uh was really causing concern but they've they've got their guy Brian Arson coming down from from Boise state kind of interesting not really somewhere you would necessarily think the SEC would look but when you look at his track record you can absolutely understand um he is he's been fantastic um, at Boise State and and elsewhere in his career, but th- again the same thing I kind of come back to with like this is in my eyes this is a much better hire than Sarkeesian one um, from you know what what you're getting is is pretty much success all the way through um, what he's done in his career. The pushback is he might not have done it at the level as a a Sarkeesian, but he doesn't have the low points either. Um, but we have seen good hires on paper into the SEC and into the SEC West. They do not all work out. Um, but if you're uh, if you're Auburn and you're you're getting a guy who had some success at Arkansas State, has had a ridiculous run of success at Boise State. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if this is a hire that that blows you off the page just because of lack of familiarity, um, compared to if you if you got somebody a little bigger name, but like this this has the potential to to really work out.
1: It does, and it's funny because they they basically went back to the well to go yep. get this to get Brian Harson because Gus came from Arkansas State, and while. Obviously, he was at Boise State for what the last seven years or so. Um, He still was. He still started his head coaching career at Arkansas State. So that's, I think that's funny, but huge success. He's 76 and 24 as a head coach. Take it as you will. Um, Arkansas State and Boise State. Continuing success at Boise State, I don't think is an easy thing. My biggest concern is the fact that he is from Boise, Idaho. He went to Boise State. Most of his coaching career is up in the Pacific Northwest. How does he adjust to the Southeast and the Southeastern Conference? Yes, he was at Texas for two years as an O-coordinator slash quarterback coach, but what does that really give you? Does, does the geographic difference difference make as much of a difference as it does in college basketball. We talked about Mike Anderson going from Arkansas to St. John's and how we both just didn't understand it because that's running two completely different circles, you know, recruiting ties, all that stuff completely different. Um, Will it have as much carryover when it comes to coaching from the mountain West to the sec, I'd have to imagine. Yes. To some extent. But at the end of the day, if you can continue to hire and use that brand that is Auburn football, I, he's, he's proven that he's a winner. So I, I have more confidence in this than Sark, or I guess that's hard to say. I, I have equal confidence in the Sarkeesian hire as I do in Brian Harson. Yeah.
0: Sorry. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to, or at least initially. How much can you get out of Bo Nix?
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and we'll
0: see it's it's going to be once again I mean tough for bone Nix just because third year third third kind of new system, yeah um, to kind of get a grasp on, but you would think and you would hope that it's coming in Harson will design something that plays more to both. Strengths so we can kind of have more of a solid all the way through year consistency for once. Um, so he starts to become an upperclassman compared to all of the underclassmen mistakes that have plagued him from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. Auburn, you know, depending on the week, an average to mediocre football team,
1: right? Harson's a quarterback. Let's, let's see what he right. can do. Uh,
0: all right, that's pretty much on, on college football. Anything, anything else you want to touch on?
1: No, just I think bowl season was a little underwhelming. And I think a uh, group of five teams, we've talked about this at length, but group of five teams got screwed. And now, you know, you see teams like Cincinnati and Coastal losing their bowl games. And I think people are going to hold it against them unfairly.
0: Yeah. But we can't hold it against Florida. That yes, a Green Speeded by Oklahoma. The, the double standard is as alive and well as ever.
1: Extremely apparent.
0: So, college basketball um, big news came out earlier today. Not necessarily a surprise. I think it's what it's the direction we thought this would eventually go. But all of the NCAA tournament confirmed will be in the state of Indiana. Um, Not exactly a bubble because it's not just limiting it to Indianapolis. It will stretch basically across the states. So however airtight you can keep the state of Indiana, which let's be honest, has been one of the worst COVID hotspots for most of this, but we're going to focus on the positives. We're going to get to see some tournament basketball in Hinkle, and Lucas Oil, and Mackey, and Assembly Hall, um, and just all of the the best facilities that the basketball crazy state of Indiana has to offer. Um, Lucas Oil will have two courts, but will not have them running simultaneously, which is an important note. Um, so be. A little too chaotic for official tournament play but
1: oh, I would love the AAU circuit running down probably. there
0: just feel like you're back at the hyper yeah um, but yeah I mean we, we kind of thought when they announced one site one uh, one area that Indiana would, would win it because you know they Indianapolis just hosts everything sports related but now that it's official what are what are kind of your thoughts on on this whole arrangement?
1: I love it. Um, strictly because it's, it's kind of like going back to the roots thing, if you will. Uh, like you said, Indiana, obviously a hoop-crazy state. It's nice to see all these universities that have you know, these storied programs get these games because if you were going elsewhere, first off, I don't even know where else you would go to, to you know, that would have the infrastructure at least this close together to do that. Like, sure, maybe Boston, but like, did people really care up there? Like it, it just means more to the Hoosiers, you know, <laughs> plain and simple. And so I think that's a fun little twist for it, but it makes some sense. Like you said, if they would have kept you know, limited it really to like Indianapolis or the surrounding areas um, that would have been obviously ideal because like you said, Indiana, like the rest of the country just has not been doing well with coronavirus. And now uh, we're, we're going to stretch it out for, for most of the state, but it's, you know, crossroads classic to the nth degree, because we've got so many more teams playing and it's, uh, I like it. I think it's a good idea. I, I'm intrigued to see what kind of Quirk. Well, I don't know what else to say. The NCA puts in because I don't think the NCA really does like great things. But I saw they trademarked Mask Madness, which I absolutely hate. But yeah, it's done. I uh, I'm hopeful that at least the TV stations will be able to figure something out or some way to tie it in. Infinite number of Hoosier references will be coming though, so just be prepared for that. Um, probably. Show the scene, or one of the coaches of like a an underdog will have the guys measure the hoop at Hinkle, and and that's how we'll get off to often started for the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean it'll it'll definitely be a cool experience um, for some of these teams. Um, I mean, like basically any team that would be in like the the fourteen to sixteen range, anytime they come to assembly hall just play a regular season game it's always like very clearly an awesome experience guys taking pictures um Mm -hmm. just celebrating being there and i I think that'll be cool because these are places that we talked about before we started recording don't typically host tournament games um and it's like it's awesome to play in front of you know a ton of people at, at the staples center or other nba arenas but you know playing some of the most storied College basketball arenas um, for a lot of teams that, that wouldn't get the chance to otherwise. Like, obviously, big time teams, big east teams, they're not going to really care about that as much. But for a lot of the smaller schools, at least, it uh, would be a, a pretty cool experience.
1: I, I think, to an extent, like the, the, the history of college basketball is interesting to some of these guys. I, I, I'm not going to speak you know, uh, on it too much because I just don't know. But you've got to imagine that being, you know, if you're a Pac-12 player or Mountain West or somebody grew up loving basketball, like to be able to play at Assembly Hall in the NCAA tournament or Mackey or wherever in Indiana would be pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah, so we are, we're going to stay optimistic that uh, the NCAA will figure out a way to run everything smoothly because this is now, a lot of logistics that have to go into effect of, of I mean,
1: travel wise, too. I think it's great. Yeah, it's
0: not it's not like it's not an actual bubble. You will have to travel, um, you know, Mackey and, and Bloomington are about an hour in opposite directions away from Indianapolis. Um, right. Granted, you can tell you from experience, you're not really going to run into anything on the way in between any of those spots, but still it's a, it's a ways to go. Um, Right, that's, that's kind of the only, the only knock against, um, you know, trying to, trying to go with this um, bubble intention of not actually being a bubble, but it's closer than it could be, I guess. Um, It limits
1: travel, but it's not as, as simple as it could be,
0: right? Yeah, and I think ultimately playing everything in like literally one location was was going right. to be impossible. Mm-hmm. It was close, um, but we are uh, we are well into the the swing of conference play. Now we have a good amount of teams that have had a, a good past couple of weeks. The Big Ten is nuts. Who knows what's going on um, on any given night? But in terms of some big things happening happening nationally, um, I, I think we got to uh, we got to talk about Texas a little yep. bit. Um, equal, they they tied the record for biggest margin of victory by an opponent at the Fog. They went in there, beat Kansas, eighty four to fifty nine. Which, if you're scoring at home. 25 points margin there. Um, but they that Texas has not really fallen off. Like they they got the the Maui bump of sorts against a field that maybe is not as impressive as we initially thought it might be. Um, particularly the the final against North Carolina, dropped one to Villanova, which there's no shame in, but that's been it. Now coming into big wealth play, which is we've established, the, the top of that league is as good as any in the country. And to do this to a Kansas team that honestly had been playing some pretty good basketball themselves, um, it speaks to how scary Texas can be when, when the night is right.
1: We talked about it before, too. The scariest thing or I guess the, the most impressive thing from Texas is just defensively how good they look. Like th- this is as long and range. This is basically a Leonard Hamilton team at Texas. They're long, they're rangy, they're athletic, they get in passing lanes, disrupt shots, aggressive on the glass. Uh, they did, yes, they did give up 14 offensive rebounds, but Kansas also missed 45 shots. So that's bound to happen at that rate. Um, they held the Jayhawks to 31% shooting and 13% from three. You're going to win. You are going to win basketball games when you do that, and it's plain and simple. And that is what Shaka has done down there at Texas. He has simplified the game to: if we are aggressive on the defensive end, we are going to win. Uh, they they still have problems offensively. They aren't. They shot the lights out against Kansas, but they aren't a great shooting team. They also turn it over a lot—16 turnovers in this game. Um, clean it up a little bit and. They're going to be tough to beat on any given night. They're going to be tough to beat. So really good stretch here for Texas. Interesting game coming up with Iowa State because it feels like an absolute trap before a road trip to West Virginia and then a home game against Texas Tech. But if they can keep up and uh, not have a letdown game against Iowa State, the sky's the limit at this point because their schedule gets – very soft for the next few, um, and then depending on what you think about Kentucky, <laughs> on January 30th they have that game at Rupp Arena, and then Baylor. So back backloaded schedule for for sure for Texas. They can rise as high as they want at this point, assuming they they don't slip up in the Iowa State game because I think I just think they're easily better than West Virginia and Texas Tech at this point. Um, I think Texas Tech is more talented. I just don't think they're going to mesh. This early in the season, I think they need some more time.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like, it's it's still not going to be an easy run um, through the Big Twelve, with the exception of playing, you know, like the Kansas State's the world. Because every good team is still elite defensively, and I I don't think Texas has really risen to the point of Baylor. They're certainly close in the polls, but. Um Baylor is still kind of the the class, the conference Kansas was starting to inch back up there. Um, mm-hmm. not not like blowing teams out, but they were they were beating good teams. they were they were getting wins over basically all of the challengers except for Baylor, who still remains undefeated. but for Texas to come into the fog, like fans are not um, that's that's really irrelevant at this point in. Kansas yeah. is allowing some fans to watch uh, depending on how big the opponent is and mm-hmm. to do that in in any situation is remarkable and that gives you confidence that you can win the league that you can i mean think think bigger nationally which they're already starting to but this is really the one big statement win you can make that that really shows that and really puts the conference and the country on notice. So, you know, this will this will be something that will have to follow up a little better than, than they did coming out of Maui. It helps they're not playing Villanova right away, um, mm-hmm. but they are in, they're in great position,
1: like you said. Um, but even Villanova, yeah. they had them on the ropes. Yeah, yeah like, If they could like hit they, a couple shots, like they got blown out. Yeah, right.
0: It's just not winning immediately after kind of neutralized the Maui bump a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah that that's not a that's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um. But yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a grind through the Big Twelve as we keep saying and it's uh. But like, even even if they were to uh, to eke out a win over Baylor, this still might be their most impressive win of the year.
1: Absolutely. I mean, just just the dismantling. You you just don't see it against Kansas.
0: Um Clemson's another team that has had a, a good couple weeks for much the same reason. Like the, there's a consistent theme in college basketball this year. We keep harping on it because with the short off offseason, it has been so hard for the vast majority of offenses to get in rhythm. Um, you know, like Villanova, Except Iowa, Gonzaga. obvious exceptions. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, teams that have Kind come out of the woodwork or, or risen above where we thought they might be is because they've been elite defensively. Texas certainly has been. Um, all of the the good teams in the Big Twelve have been. Clemson is still doing that as well. They just beat Leonard Hamilton's Florida State team last week. They're up to second nationally in uh, Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. Only one loss on the year. They're into the top twenty. Um, nationally, as we've said before, a couple of wins over big Ten teams looking looking pretty good and uh, what is honestly a a very down year for the top of the ACC like it's it's early, but you know, with with the win over Florida State, who is a a team that had a legitimate claim to be good out of traditional powers like, Kind of at the point where you're like, why not Clemson?
1: Yeah, you are. And I mean, if you look at the top of the league right now, it's Virginia Tech, Louisville, and NC State at 2-0. and Anybody can win this league. Um, that I mean, North Carolina is still alive even at 1-2. and two. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like uh, I guess Notre Dame could make, make a slight run because they've got Prentice Hub, but I don't, I don't think they're going to get out there. But Florida State, I don't want to say Georgia Tech because I just don't think they're that good. I don't think Duke is good enough. I don't know that Virginia is. Syracuse definitely is not. But there are um, only a handful of teams that I can truly see that can win this league. And I think it starts and stops in terms of the top with Clemson.
0: Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech certainly don't think they're good enough to win the league, but they are better than how they started the season. I think they've proven that to a degree. Um, But yeah, like most of the league, you'd have to really talk yourself into Um, like it's it's not a right not a Duke and UMC versus the field. Like Virginia has looked very mortal at times. Um, Gonzaga just absolutely worked them. Um, which is not not necessarily to hold anything against them because Gonzaga will do that to anybody, but it's just various points over their other games. Struggled against Kent State, lost to San Francisco. Obviously, there are there are definite holes that you can point out. Um, this is not Tony Bennett's best team, or mm-hmm. or even close to that. But uh, you know, Duke just might legitimately be a bad team I think they're saved a lot of negative press by how bad Kentucky has been yeah another blue blood but UNC really struggling too um, and I I don't have a lot of confidence in, in them at the moment and then like Florida State is uh, is fairly consistent or has been but um, you know head to head Clemson got to win over them so it might be might be the team we're looking at right now. There there's not a, a bona fide um top five, top ten team in the ACC, Um but you know, if you're in the top twenty, you've got got a great chance to, to win the whole thing.
1: Yeah. It's it's wide open this season. Um i I mean it's basically football if you take out Clemson football in the right. ACC. It's it's a lot of teams that you just don't know.
0: Yeah. And this year, you'd have to take out Notre Dame as well. Yes,
1: of course. That was
0: honestly like Notre Dame did uh, the ACC a lot of favors. They did. People forget. Um, a couple, a couple interesting teams I wanted to touch on really quick in the Big Ten. Um, Minnesota, gotten some a couple big blowout wins for Michigan State and Ohio State and uh, Michigan. Still undefeated, nine and0 um, just smacked Northwestern, which some people would consider a very good win, um, and they are in the top part so far of what has been a, a very wild start to the season within the conference.
1: Yeah, they're the only unbeaten left at 4 uh, and0, but it's top-heavy. I think, I think we've talked about this. I think um, Kareem's going to rise to the top. And while the Big Ten is deep, I don't think it is as deep as some are saying. I think Michigan State's going to figure it out. Um, Northwestern, I think, is going to revert back closer to what they actually are and not a top 25 team. Ohio State's going to be right in the middle. Purdue's going to be right in the middle. Indiana, I think, is going to figure some things out. The question is, where does Minnesota go? Because they are 10 and 2 right now, but they are 10 and 0 at home and 0 and 2 on the road. They are very much Rutgers of last year at this point. Not that it means as much because there are just no fans, but Minnesota is the wild card because if they continue to play well and win these games, they're obviously going to finish in the top five or six of the Big Ten. And that means that someone of Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers isn't going to. So who falls out in that case? I don't know the answer to that. I still think Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten. Um, Iowa can beat anybody on any night, but they can lose to anybody on any night. Michigan, like we talked about in the preseason, is talented. It has worked so far this year for them, but when, like, something's got to give at this point. Yeah.
0: And I, I think starting with Minnesota, Marcus Carr has been phenomenal, mm-hmm. yeah. and kind of one of the things we expected coming into the year. One of the things that was going to be tougher to replace certainly was um, Daniel Turu, and and no one's going to be able to do that. But they got a a lot more than I think they might have expected, in, uh, in Lee and and Liam Robbins out of Drake, um, yeah. They're transferred sure to to kind of fill that void in the middle, and I think that's been the biggest thing so far to to push them better than they were last year. Because even with O'Toole, even with Carr, even with Gabe Kalsher, they were, you know, in the almost the very bottom of the Big Ten, just because of how deep the league was with uh, potential NCAA tournament teams. They were a potential tournament team that was spending pretty much the entire season in 11th and 12th in the conference. Most of their key pieces are a year older again, lose Turu. this team would be on another level and potentially talk about challenging some of those teams that you mentioned um but realistically, this is probably as as high as I think they'll go before they might come back down to uh to earth a little bit but even so this is uh this looks like a tournament team they I mean, they they also got the win over Iowa on Christmas, um, mm-hmm. even mentioned, but they can they can score in bunches. They are very adept at that side of the ball. But again, it's it's going to be a grind Big Ten season. Northwestern had a hot start, cooling off a little bit. Minnesota has a little bit of a better start in that they've beaten better teams, and there's kind of less you can you can point at and question, but. Um, then you know it's been the Marcus Car Show for for most of the year, averaging over twenty two a game. And then Michigan, similar thing, getting a lot of production out of uh, a young big man, Hunter Dickinson, leading them in, in scoring and rebounding. And there there's not a team that's going to get through Big Ten play with you know a an immaculate record or you know anything that gaudy. I think. Any team getting less than four losses, fewer than four losses in conference play, I'd be pretty surprised by. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think just there, there is too much talent at the top for teams to not just kind of beat up on each other a little bit. Different than last year when, you know, most of these teams would be kind of hovering between 20th and also receiving votes. Um, a lot, lot more teams solidly in the top 25, but, you know, maybe a couple that are you know inching their way into the conversation as well for conference title i think michigan has a much more legitimate shot than minnesota does at that but i mean both both of them are well equipped to finish in in the top 5 if they kind of keep playing at at similar levels
1: yeah i mean what they do well they do very well and that that has been the key for each of these teams. Like Minnesota is a top twenty offense in Ken Palm. They have one of the leading scorers in the country, and then they have a revelation at as a big excuse me as a big man in Liam Robbins. Because yes, you can produce at Drake, but can you do it in the Big Ten? And and he is proving right now that he is capable of doing that. Michigan continues to work well offensively. I think it's it's anybody can do it. And it is much less predicated on just Isaiah livers or um, Mike Smith, even at at certain extents at certain points or Franz Wagner, like they they have multiple guys that can beat you. Eli Brooks has looked good. chandy Brown. There's all sorts of guys that can score on any given night. So Michigan has spread it out and that's, what's working best for them. But yeah, I mean, I liked Michigan preseason. I think they look good. Now this is certainly better than I had anticipated. Minnesota did not expect anything like this from them, even with Marcus Carr. Um, but yeah, I think they're both tournament teams. It would take something very drastic to change my opinion of, and I, I say this more to Minnesota than Michigan, because I think before the season even started, we knew Michigan was a tournament team. But yeah, I, I think uh, of of the teams that have come out of nowhere, Minnesota is the safest one.
0: Yeah, that that is the challenge though in the big 10 this year, I think it's very realistic for at least a couple of these teams to go as long as like two or three weeks without picking up a win. Um, mm-hmm. just because you're playing good teams every night. You can get hot and put together a lot of wins, you can get cold and, uh, and put together a lot of losses just as easily because so you said in the preseason, one of the things you thought you could count on was getting a win against Northwestern. That is certainly not the case this year. Um, you know, Penn State has been anything but a pushover, and I mean the the middle of the conference is, I'd say, even better than last year. So far, really, the only thing you can count on is is beating Nebraska. Um,
1: yeah,
0: are surely words that will come back to bite me. But um everybody else in the Big Ten can can beat each other, I think, on on any given night. So kudos to Michigan for for starting off undefeated and staying that way still. Kudos to Minnesota for starting off as well as they have in conference. Um, but we'll uh We'll see how it goes for, for the next month or so. because um, there is as they say, a lot of basketball still to be played. There is. Um, any, any other teams you would like to highlight?
1: Uh, let's go with some smaller schools. Winthrop 8 and0 on the year five and0 right now in the Big South and Drake, the aforementioned Drake, they are actually about to improve to 13 and0 on the season 4 and0 in Missouri Valley play. They look good, plain and simple. I mean, both of these teams are playing very well. Drake is up to what sixty eighth in Ken Palm fifty fifth best offensive or most efficient offense. At some point, they're going to have to get some respect nationally. We're we're just kind of waiting on it. So um credit to both of those teams who have who have played well so far.
0: Yeah, Drake just ahead of Power Six schools like. South Carolina and your least favorite squad, Georgia Tech. So,
1: yes, they're, they're
0: of <laughs> um, It's it, it's been an interesting year with with scheduling and kind of what teams are are producing undefeated records. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone really had Drake as a team that they would have pegged to be one of the last undefeated teams nationally. Um, mm-hmm are quite a few with with how quirky scheduling has been, but um, it's 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 not for a uh, a lack of games played. I mean they have they have played about as as much as anybody in the country. they I don't know if anybody's played more than uh, they'll have thirteen games at at the end of the night. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's tough times in the valley.
1: It is. It's it's always a uh, it's always a, a tough conference. It's always one of the best mid majors. So to to start off like that is great, but to continue the success is what they need to do. Yeah. Um
0: and then in terms of a, a non power six team, St. Louis still uh yeah. still Awfully strong.
1: They're good. They're athletic. They're pretty deep. Um, they just need to get back on the court.
0: Yeah, that that that's another thing just for the remainder of the season to keep an eye out on. Like obviously there were schools like DePaul, um, who had long layoffs before starting the year and, and just continual issues. Tennessee took a while to start and since starting, they've looked like one of the best teams in the country, um, just mm-hmm. potentially the only other good SEC team in Missouri. Um, but I think there may come a time, like in the next month or two, where a team has a lot of their momentum just killed by, you know, a positive test within the program and being forced to not really participate in any basketball activities for a span of a couple weeks and. Again, one of the fun, unique things about this season, but that's that's kind of something to to keep an eye on and just see who that team or those teams are that that's really going to affect.
1: Right, right. And like like we've mentioned, I don't know if we said it now or pre-show, but Villanova is now on pause. They've been paused for a little bit now, and and they have the meat of their biggie schedule basically basically coming up that they're going to have to play after taking a couple weeks off. And, you know, they are, what, number three, I think? Yeah, they're number three right now. And there's no saying what two weeks, three weeks, maybe four weeks off can do to your team. And, you know, two losses coming off of that. Is that fair to compare to a team that has played continuous basketball and has lost two or three in a row? I don't think so, but will it be treated the same? I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: Right. And yeah, I guess, I guess it's getting started already because they haven't lost since, yeah, you know, the month. (laughs) I do. (laughs) So uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. And that's, that's something that could potentially start them on a a brief swoon. Certainly hope it doesn't um, is kind of things more or less out of team's control um, outside of actual basketball, but that is, unfortunately, a very real possibility with this season um, being tried to play amidst a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of losers, Michigan State might be bad.
1: They might, but they still might be good. That's the thing.
0: (laughs) They they have been bad of late. Yes, um, they they have been bad when they have played Minnesota. Um, it, like, they're they're a tough tough teams. To re- I I think again, really wish we saw Baylor versus Gonzaga just because those have clearly been the two best teams. Mm-hmm. I really would have liked to see Michigan State Nebraska um, just to get. A better read on both of those teams, right? You know, we we talked about Michigan State struggling against Northwestern on our last show. They they dropped a game to Wisconsin on Christmas Day. They got blown out by Minnesota. Um, it's kind of, one of the things I'm talking about. Like even a team that you perceive as good, Michigan State, like you can very easily go on a losing streak in this year's Big Ten, and the only Team that was able to kind of spell that was Nebraska, who you know everybody's been been feasting on. Even that game, they're only able to win by seven, so not even as convincing as you'd think a a Tom Izzo team would do against a a team of of Nebraska's caliber, not even a a top hundred squad playing in the Big Ten. But it's it's been it's been tough. It's they they start off the season strong. We we probably bought a little too much into the win at Cameron uh, mm-hmm. because you know, Duke's not necessarily the team that we thought they were, but at the same time there, there is a little, uh, I think there's a little room for or reason for concern um, when you are not only losing these games, but not even being really competitive in the process as they were not against Northwestern and against Minnesota. Um, Not even teams that we're discussing in kind of the upper echelon of the Big Ten like Illinois, like Iowa. Um, So that's potentially concerning, but at the same time maybe just the Tom Izzo adversity um, part of the, the season, part of the calendar that we're forcing ourselves to make our way through before March. But this seems a little more uh, aggressive than normal, if that's the case.
1: The guard play just hasn't been very good. I think that's the biggest problem. They're averaging 13 turnovers. Like Rocket Watts has been okay. He's not even shooting 40, he's shooting 35% from the field, not even close to 40, 27% from three. Um, if you look at it, their best player has probably been Joey Hauser. I mean, Aaron Henry obviously has some claim to that title as well, but it, between the two of them, it's it's one of the two. And Gabe Brown has been great. Malik Hall's been solid. Mar Julius Marble's been solid. Like this isn't what they need. They need guard play. They need to be able to disrupt the opponent, and then they need someone who can run the offense. And while Rocket Watts hasn't been doing poorly, it's just not the drop off from Cassius Winston is so drastic. Yeah. And-
0: the problem is, even with Cassius Winston, Michigan State still has struggled with turnovers over the last few seasons. And without Cassius Winston, you're going to be significantly worse. Um, it, like as as bad as they've been, usually 13th or 14th in conference. They're, I mean, they're they're trying to find new ground here, and not having kind of a steady presence like a, a Cassius Winston who can at times take over games by himself. Even not necessarily as a score, but just with his playmaking ability, getting other guys involved, getting them confidence um, is is significant. And I think this team would be very lost without Joey Hauser. Although you said uh, the big men who are getting expanded opportunities are certainly taking advantage of those. But yeah, there's there was never going to be a Cassius Winston on perimeter this year. But there's no one even like kind of filling his shoes, um, or, or doing a good job of, of mitigating that loss. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do to replace kind of your, your prototypical four-year college point guard who just becomes the face of the program and, and runs your team in in every facet. But that's, that's what Michigan state is working through right now. And, the benefit of the doubt has to be given to Tom Izzo in terms of being able to figure that out over the course of the season. Um, mm-hmm. and they are not struggling with growing pains that you could, you know, again, Kentucky is an easy punching bag. Um, and, you know, Michigan State is not Kentucky. They, right. they have more quality wins to their credits. Um, and they have shown, you know, flashes even in in some losses um like to Wisconsin that they're capable of being a good team, uh potentially a great team. But right now, um start to finish of their games, they're just they're not showing that really at all.
1: And it should be noted though that they are fifth in the country in assists. But it's it's feast or famine basically. You're either it's either assist or turnover at this point.
0: Thirty touchdowns, thirty picks.
1: Yeah, it's
0: generally, generally not a not a good thing when when both are high. But
1: no, just ask Jameis.
0: Yeah. Um. Ohio State's also struggling, but I I think it's it's a little bit too. Again, I I think. The Big Ten is gonna have some of these, you know, swoons built into the schedule. And you get a a great win over Rutger where they control the you know the last five or six minutes of that game entirely. At mm-hmm. least Northwestern, who you feel like you really shouldn't have. You have a get-right game against Nebraska, which I feel like I will say 19 or 20 times this year. And then you get crushed by Marcus Carr in Minnesota. Um, so just kind of being unable to to string two consecutive good performances together in the big ten is is going to be challenging. I think the the wins that Northwestern is racking up early in conference play, um, those losses are going to look a lot worse by the time we're talking about. Conference seating for the the Big Ten tournament, and also just yeah. resumes in uh, March Madness. So to not be able to pull that one out, a, a game they they very much had in hand, and then just a, a demoralizing lack of any sort of challenge against Minnesota. Um, so it's a little worrisome for for a team that came out of the gate looking pretty sharp, looking like. I kind of expected a, a Chris Holtman team to look. They they haven't really done that the the last few times out and Blue on Nebraska. I can't even really give credit for that. Yeah, and this is this has been the brash ne- best, bash Nebraska hour, but it is it is well deserved.
1: It always is. Um, yeah, I, I, they're a deep team, and that's their biggest strength. Their, their biggest weakness is three point shooting, where they have just have not shot the ball well at all this season, they need to wear teams down. They need to work teams in and and really get out and and move and and get aggressive defensively because that is where they can do their, their best work. Uh, They have nine solid guys that they can go to. Um, Chris Holtman can call the number of a vast majority of these guys. And the crazy thing is even while shooting 31% from three, they're still a top 10 team in offensive efficiency. Like, They score and they do it well. But when they get to the line, when they attack the basket, is when they're at their best. They, when they get away from that, is when you see games like Minnesota. And that's, it, it it feels like almost a mentality thing of if we're down, we can't shoot our way out of it. And if we can't get, you know, if we can't get a foul call or we can't get to the rim, there's no way we're going to score. So let's just pack it in. And that's,
0: that's not a, it's not a position you want to be in as a, a basketball team, but I feel like, again, far too many are this season. It's definitely uh, not a good year for shooting.
1: Yeah, it's this is not an, uh, an isolated problem for Ohio State, it is a college basketball at large issue.
0: What other teams do you want to pick on?
1: Um, I, I thought St. John's would be better than they are so far. They, uh, they've really struggled out of the gate in the Big East. Obviously, there have been some coronavirus pauses and you know things that have changed the games for them, but lose to Georgetown on the road, fairly inexcusable. Georgetown just isn't a very good team. Get blown out by Creighton, which is fine. And then, uh, you know, they, they hung around for a little bit against Seton Hall, but it was never really a game. And, and these are the ones where, if you're St. John's, you, you expect to see some sort of improvement. And when you have a guy like Julian Champagny, who's scoring 20 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, a block, uh, steal and a half, he, he's basically doing it all. And he's almost shooting 40% from three. Like, you need to take advantage of these seasons because you don't get them as often as you used to or as often as you would expect. The style of play, I think, is a problem still for St. John's. They turn the ball over a ton. they're reliant on a freshman point guard that just isn't quite there yet. and Posh Alexander. If they can limit their turnovers and continue to attack the glass and be aggressive like Mike Anderson likes to play, they're going to have a shot in some of these games. But last season, their biggest biggest piece was their toughness and the fact that they beat Creighton. <laughs> like that that was it. And they have already lost to Creighton this season. So uh, I think the the fault in the armor is there and and teams are exploiting St. John's at this point in what is now clearly a weak bottom third, bottom half of the Big East.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it just doesn't necessarily seem to be a a roster that fully meshes with what Mike Anderson wants to do, and that is play at a breakneck pace. And it's kind of one of the things that We've talked about um, how old Brett Underwood in Illinois down the first couple of seasons, when you play fast, you're not necessarily equipped to do so. You are prone to making more mistakes. And when you are kind of one of the, the lower um, teams in the roster in terms of talent, that is, is really not how you want to be playing at all. And you're giving a team – as good offensively as Creighton, additional opportunities time and again, you're going to get burned. And I mean, that's, that's exactly what's happening. It's kind of part of the reason we were scratching our heads a little bit, the, the Mike Anderson, Sue St. John's hire in the first place, not only geography, but also just, just kind of sk- style of play was was going to be kind of an interesting journey to see how it played out in the first couple of years. Um, Definitely lost some good players off of last year's team, Um, but at a a certain point, you have to make some concessions, some adjustments in consideration to what you have on your roster, and it just doesn't, doesn't really look like they have
1: done that. No, and I think It's there's a lot of new pieces like you mentioned, and I think it's sink or swim in terms of whether they figure out how to play this style or not, and that we will see that in the next month or two. Um, But if they don't, I mean, they are going to be fighting with Georgetown, and I don't know, I cannot get a read on DePaul just because they haven't played enough games yet, but Georgetown, maybe Butler, but like there, there are teams at the bottom of the league that they will be fighting for in the cellar, so it it'll be a sink or swim moment for them for sure.
0: Yeah, so I guess that's uh, something to look forward to. But yeah, I, I mean, it's I think I think year three with with Mike Anderson is really going to be telling um, now that he at that point will have had a little more times to kind of get his guys in, see his fingerprints over the roster a little bit, um, and it'll be. More entirely on him. We're mm-hmm. starting to see a little this year, um, but earlier turns are not promising.
1: No, not yet.
0: Anybody else?
1: Uh, we can pick on Auburn if you want to pick on Bruce Pearl. 0 2 in the SEC play, losing Arkansas, I think, is a good team, or they're getting to be a good team but a and M, i A&M I'm not convinced on yet, and they just did not look very good in that game. They only scored 66 points and, and frankly just did not look like an Auburn team that we're used to seeing, or at least the last couple of years under Bruce Pearl.
0: Yeah, the SEC in general is just kind of back to where they were a few years ago when, not, not quite all the way back there when they were consistently the, the butt of jokes, but it's it's not pretty in in a lot of the conference. You've got like Tennessee is far and away the class league. You've got a couple of solid teams: LSU, Florida, um, Arkansas is on the rise certainly. Um, but and like Missouri played pretty well the the first couple weeks this season um, over a month, and you know I, I think they they could still be a tournament team, but they're I think they've hit the high water mark and are going to come back a little bit, but. Once you start getting down in the weeds, there's a lot of just not good teams. And, you know, maybe surprisingly to some, Auburn is now in that group. Um, they have fallen fairly quickly from making the Final Four to where they are now. And I agree with you. I don't think A&M is a good team either. I, I think that's going to be an interesting progression over... Um, you know Buzz Williams tenure to see if and when he's able to put a and m back on the map as they they used to be um kind of like what he did with Virginia Tech but right now they're not there um and it's it's kind of kind of like ships passing in the night almost a little bit two programs going in opposite directions a and m is not there but they're they're improving from what they were auburn is. Closer to free fall mode, and I know they've had off the court things um, in terms of violations and uh, potential sanctions that are that are kind of looming, and you know self-imposing bans and, and doing doing all kinds of other fun things. But it's uh, th- these are none of these are things that inspire confidence within the fan base, and it's one thing to kind of get away with. Things and kind of having a, a dark cloud around the periphery of your program when you are winning basketball games and you know making deep runs the tournament and getting Charles Barkley all hot and bothered, but when you are just languishing away um, near the bottom of what is not a good SEC, people turn on you quickly, and that's. Unfortunately, the territory that unfortunately for Bruce Pearl, the territory we're probably going to approach this season. um, I just do not see them being being competitive with the.
1: I mean, if people are calling for Cal's head, any no one's safe. Yeah, it's like that's it's as simple as that. I think. Um, I. It's hard to say for Auburn because. Like I think their rise was so quick that the fallout was going to have to be so so drastic, like we're we're seeing right now. But you do bring up a good point on a And where they are slowly building up. Um, Emmanuel Miller's been awesome. He has been a revelation as a sophomore. Seventeen points, eight and a half rebounds, uh, one, a little over a, an assist and a half, and almost a steal and a half this season. But there really isn't a ton. Outside of the roster. So when you lose a game like that, when you're Auburn and lose a game like that, it's tough to, to understand. This year doesn't really matter for me in terms of Bruce Pearl at Auburn or I guess Auburn in general. It's what happens next year. There was always going to be a bit of a gap or a transition with this season. Add in the Sharif Cooper stuff. Who the hell knows what's going on there? Like that was going to cause major issues because he was expected to be a huge part of this team in this offense. And he is all of a sudden not there. So there's 15 points a game probably. Um, What are they going to do next year? They've got a lot of young guys. Where do they continue to go in terms of recruiting? How are they, how is Bruce going to rebuild this team? Because you can take a bad season as long as you follow it up with a top four finish in the sec, which I think is very doable, but Will he get them there? I, I have no idea. Just because there are so many question marks at this point, and what they have on the roster certainly doesn't seem to be living up to what we had expected or what the experts had expected.
0: The door was certainly open in the SEC this year, and, yeah. and Cooper is a what if that you can point to. Um, but yeah, if if you are, if you are Bruce Pearl and the sort of gregarious guy that you are, you. Are kind of expecting from yourself and kind of selling to to your fan base that you know they're they're going to be a, a consistent NCAA tournament team program. Like you don't want to be the team that's that's competing with with Final Fours and alternating between you know bottom four finishes in your conference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they the fan base will turn on you quickly. Yeah, um, it, as Tom Crean will tell you, but. It's um it, it's it's it is something that was going to be a, a down year, but I think a down year for Auburn in theory, um, under Bruce Pearl and, and what a down year actually looks like is very different. And I, I think this was at worst expected to be a middle of the pack team in yep. what was I I think a middle of the pack team in if everyone in the SEC played to their potential, which they absolutely haven't, and you know Sharif Cooper obviously plays a part of that, um, but if you are going to just kind of be in no man's land right now, you have to at least take care of business by by beating the teams at the bottom of the conference, and that that is teams like A&M, that is you know the Vanderbilts, Mississippi's, the Georgias of the world, mm-hmm. um, Mississippi State, but. I, I look at how Auburn's been playing this year and I can't say with confidence that they'll be able to do that this year.
1: Yeah. I I don't at this point in the season, I haven't seen anything to prove to me that they can climb out of the cellar. Yeah, so
0: I I agree with you. It'll it'll be interesting to see what next year looks like. Um but I, I think a couple of programs in the SEC are like that, like a&M next year is going to be big as well, um, but for different reasons. Definitely. Do you want to uh, spend a little bit of time patting yourself on the back for, uh, for the Heat checks in?
1: I don't want to pat myself on the back. I lost to a rival. I, I'm st- struggling wow. here. Uh oh. I would love I love that I beat out Villanova for a recruit, but other than that, like talking about. the games on the court have not gone well. I, I think my I am right now Lorenzo Romar of this sim. I have had one great season and then have just recruited very well but not had the results to back it up.
0: That is uh that is interesting, interesting branding on your part, um, and I, I don't think I can uh, can necessarily agree with or disagree with that line of thinking. You uh, you spelled it out beautifully, but, um, yeah, I mean, giving yourself a chance every year by by stacking your roster full of elite prospects, and I, I think as we've seen, you know, teams in the sim that come out. You know, guns blazing and the the MTEs maybe performing a little bit above their record. Um, You know, teams that that start off the season unranked and then rattle off three wins and and hop into the top 10. I feel like those teams are not really anywhere to be found at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, at least I hope. I mean, I've been that team like two or three years now, and uh, I certainly have have fallen off, but I say that. Strictly because of the fact that I believe Rutgers is in the top 10 right now, which should never happen real or fake, uh, fake life, but yeah, they're number nine. So um, apparently that was enough. Beating, Beating me was enough to get them into the top 25 or top 10, excuse me. But uh, I greatly look forward to the rematch at the Rock because I think we can win that one and get a get a cheap top ten victory.
0: There you go. Oh yeah, you've got the uh, you've got the rematch already built in. So yep. good to go there.
1: They beat Boston, Valpo, and us.
0: Sad, yeah.
1: I don't think that's enough to get you into the top ten, but here we are.
0: It's pretty typical murderous row. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You're a uh oh they went from unranked to the top ten, yeah, maybe. Right. Um I thought I'm still
1: receiving votes, votes, but like right.
0: So I was saying you were like you're French top twenty five coming into the year, so I, I could see beating you maybe move up from like fifteen to nine or something like that, depending on how other teams did. But yeah, that's uh it's a little generous.
1: The other thing, again, we've lost to a team that's worse than us. Continuing the tradition the strong tradition of losing to teams that are worse on paper than we are, which is again telling me that I'm just not a very good coach.
0: There you go. Um, I I beat two absolute dumpster fires before losing to Wright State in the title game, who now has vaulted up to number six.
1: Yeah, talk about a hot team.
0: In the country. Um, yeah, red hot. They, they also beat Pitt um, before us, so that's that's a quality win. Pitt's a ranked team, um, mm-hmm. but Stephen F. Austin upset Maryland in the first round of our MTE, so that was my semifinal opponents <laughs> after blowing out Pun. So, a couple of a uh, couple of good confidence builders for the boys um, before losing in the the title game, and then recruiting was annoying. Um, this was probably the the least active overall. Um, I've been in a, a recruiting weekend just because I only need to get one total this year. I only have one position of need, so I'm going to be recruiting. And also, like, I I rarely had a weekend where, or like, I had the rare instance of a weekend where I actually had shit to do for most of it. Um, and then, congrats! I would I know sick brag. <laughs> I was I was winning on. A couple of uh, elite players, I was winning on the uh, like the 44th guy, and then I moved over to the 45th, and I was I was winning comfortably, um, or whatever comfortably looks like. I was winning for the entire weekends. Um, I I was refreshing somewhat aggressively on Sunday, um, just because I know that's when a lot of people try to make moves. No one was. I I was thoroughly depressed after the Bears lost, but then uh, feeling a little better when the Cardinals also lost. So at least getting to the playoffs. Like you know, what that's my my win of the evening. I'm winning my recruits. <laughs> Maybe uh, you know, 2021, we're gonna actually get some sleep and uh, hope that includes qual- improves quality of life. Um, results too early to tell, but. On this night it was costly because I woke up and much to my dismay, I saw that Duke stole my player in the eleventh hour. And try as I might, I just cannot out recruit any of the, the upper prestige teams in the southeast.
1: I beat out Villanova for a guy that is in a position of need, which makes no sense because I couldn't beat out uh who was it? Ryder, I believe.
0: St. Joe's a couple times too, right?
1: Uh, St. Joe's I've never been able to beat out. Ryder, uh, for Trent Boudreau, the 41st ranked recruit out of the Bronx. I could not beat them for him and while that also isn't a position of need, it is a spot where he would have started had he chosen to come. This point guard that I landed um, out of Philly, even better, it's out of Philly. He's out of Philly. Christian Bohannon. I don't think he's going to get the start unless Patrick goes pro, which I don't think he will. But we've got, I think, one position of need. So now I'm just going to try and stack the lineup with the highest rated guy I can get. I think, um, and then when I find a guy that I like at shooting guard, is where I'm going to going to make my move. But until then, like the three star, there are plenty of good three star players out there, which I think is the the crazy thing that everyone wants these four-star, five-star guys. I I obviously enjoy being able to land them, but when I get a guy like Fink who is probably going to go pro, so I'm going to have to replace him after one season, it's pretty annoying.
0: Yeah, I mean, my second best player is a uh, a three-star junior. it has been balling out, averaging over 16 a game early in the year. Um, He's my my transfer from Georgia to Georgia,
1: <laughs> the <laughs> unprecedented move that
0: we love so much. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I think it, it is especially exciting when you can get a five-star or a four-star, um, never gotten a five-star, but I hear that's nice. Um, that's, that's obviously what you were drawn to right away. And I think, especially now at the point we're in, in the sim, especially with power six programs where everybody's roster is so loaded that like. You almost have to go after those five and four star guys um, to try to avoid your team taking a dip um, because of how much everybody's average has risen over the season. At least that's how I feel. Just trying to fill one void on my roster, but um, yeah, like I've I've built my roster out of out of mostly three stars. Should be pretty good next year. Like it doesn't these much like real life. You don't have to get top hundred guys to, you know, be a good team. Right. That is, there, there are a lot of great recruiters in real life that that specialize in, you know, finding under recruited guys and uh, you know, them blossoming once they get to college.
1: I would say that's gotta be the most realistic part thus far. That like I, I obviously enjoy it and have had fun throughout, but I would like to win again. It, it's been a while, okay. um, says the guy who hasn't had a losing record yet, but I would like to win. So, uh, yeah, I, I would like to figure that out and, and get back to winning ways. Yeah, I, I will at least
0: agree with you and say I, I do not want to go back to being a losing coach. The, the first couple of seasons were, were rough before Yes, got my recruits fully established into the program. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I think you'll with where you're where you're at in terms of roster strength. I think you'll make the the NCAA tournament this year, and I will be uh, teetering on the edge for most of it. I think the Big East is uh, is pretty stacked at the top again. As yep. you said. so that's going to be uh, depending on how you spin it, a, a challenge, and also. Great way to, to rack up some quality dubs. Um, I think the SEC got a little better too, but not to the degree of of uh, all of the the best teams in the country. So there is there's a little bit of hope there but that I I don't have to go against you know Villanova or or Butler any of those those fun teams.
1: It's gonna be great when Butler lands the number one recruit this year after having like three five-star guys that turn into perfect players stay for four years when I can't even get guys that are like eights barely that leave and go pro after one year?
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately that's the key, like not having people go pro and it's... uh
1: You know what they say, Seton Hall University, pro factory.
0: Yeah. One and done you. Yep. As I've heard, um, yeah, I Kentucky,
1: mean, Duke, Seton Hall, all the one <laughs> and done.
0: Yeah, that checks out today. me. Um, are we? Uh, we're probably playing then um, before we talk again. Would you say?
1: I would say yes. Um,
0: this is the, this is a big year for you. It might uh, might be able to even the score
1: yeah we need it
0: who um, I am favored against Nevada I'm favored against uh, I'm favored in all of mine playing Kansas and uh, Oklahoma State this cycle um, if I win one of them that will be the one that counts in the uh, big 12 SEC challenge but I don't even know if somebody's keeping track of that this year but I'm excited for the opportunity to uh, to potentially beat Kansas before they get very good again. Yeah, yeah, so, got to take advantage of that. But I guess we'll we'll play in a couple cycles. But I'm uh, looking forward to that again. Always a always a high point of the season.
1: It's it's always fun. Um, before then, we've got the battle of New Jersey against Monmouth, where I'm a one point underdog. So that that should be an interesting one.
0: Wow. It would, uh, it would be something if Seton Hall was somehow the third best team in Jersey this year.
1: Please stop! Please stop!
0: You would hate to see it. But it uh,
1: it's not true. It'll never be true. But it still gets. Mm. <laughs> It'd be terrible.
0: Uh, yeah, but that is uh, that's that's a that's a good note to end on. Yes. We have to. Go, go do something to get that taste out of your mouth, but yeah, it's uh, you said we have, we have one college football game left this season, and then it is all college basketball for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, it's an exciting football season, but sometimes it's it's time to say goodbye, and for me that moment was when Nick Sheridan made a guy with a separated shoulder throw the ball 45 times <laughs> against the worst run defense in the FBS, um, it's hypothetically, but that'll be it for us. Um, we will see you next week.